we are assembled here today to pay final respects to our honored dead. And yet it should be noted that in the midst of our sorrow, this death takes place in the shadow of new life, the sunrise of a new world, a world that our beloved comrade gave his life to protect and nourish. He did not feel this sacrifice a vain or empty one, and we will not debate his profound wisdom at these proceedings. Of my friend, I can only say this. Of all the souls I have encountered in my travels, his was the most human. Others. Congratulations. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. I'm so pumped. Look at that smile on your face. So excited, man. So excited. Have you stopped smiling? No, no. I've been a morning person for the past couple of weeks, so I'm still living my best life. <laughs> um, new job. Yeah. New home. New home. New fiance. New fiance. Insinuating that there was an old one, but there wasn't. Right. There was no <laughs> Oh, how did it go? Give me oh, the juicy man, it went so well. It it rained the whole time. The I drive saw... up everywhere, man. But it worked out nicely because the beach was completely empty mm-hmm. and it just was amazing. Yeah. That was the most epic photo I've ever seen. Thank you very much. Sarah took the photo. She was hiding in the bushes covering Bo's camera with a dress that she was gonna wear. How did you coordinate getting Sarah in a rainy bush for the engagement photo? So we went up to the location probably a month before and like scoped out the spot where we were going to stand. So Sarah and I drove up four hours, drove back four hours in the day, but found the right spot, took some photos, hung out up there, and then kind of just chatted on a drive. Where did you uh, propose at? So it's just lighthouse in frankfurt michigan called point betsy and okay. it is absolutely beautiful i posted photos of it before yeah um had one of my friends do a painting of it and yeah that was the the ideal spot and we made it work so my question might be more for sarah but how did she stay hidden as like, um, you brought maggie out there yeah no she was literally hiding in the bushes um so she saw my car pull up 
but because she had like a rental from CMU because she's working in Mount Pleasant for the week or whatever. Okay. And so she drove that car instead of her car. And that is how she ended up being hidden so well because I was nervous that Maggie would recognize her car. But yeah. my, my escape was going to be that Sarah's car has like a Dwight Troop sticker on it. And right. Sarah recently took that off her car. So. Oh. Yeah, she had a very distinctive vehicle. So you always knew if you were like passing yeah. her in traffic. Right. It's like the Malibu Max. That's crazy. Well, congratulations. Thank you very much. So like I said, I'm so excited. I, as you should be. What um, has the wedding planning started? Um, we've got some details down, but we haven't yeah. started yet. Maggie just ordered um, a wedding planning book that should arrive tomorrow, so we're going to get that underway real soon. Nice. Yeah, I think when we got engaged, uh, we were gifted like a binder with like nice. a to-do list, and that was definitely extremely helpful. Yeah. Um, that sounds awesome. That, the most important thing that you really have to figure out first is what's going to be on your menu. Yeah, it's true. The important stuff, really. Uh, both the liquid and solid menu. So. Oh yeah, we will have very various liquids necessary for celebration. Awesome. Um, is Maggie there? Is she going to be on a different device? Is she going to be on your device? No, she's on a different device in another room, so we don't echo. Oh, nice, nice, nice. I don't know yeah. if you want to like invite her to the call. Let me see. Give me one second. I'm going to add her really quick. Hello, Maggie. Hi. Congratulations. How are you? Thank I'm you great. so much. Um, well, I'm going to cover Vince's face so he can't hear you, but how excited were you when he dropped down to one knee? I I was very excited. <laughs> um, I'm not a crier at all, but I did ugly cry. Hardcore. Well, you can say that because it was raining and nobody would know if you were actually I know. crying. It was just the if you zoom in on the picture, though, you can tell. You can see real tears. She yeah. also blacked out when I started saying things. Really? Yeah. I have no idea. As soon as he dropped to one knee, I have no idea what words were said. Um, yeah. Vince, totally do you remember what you said? Out. Yeah, I said something so nice, but I'm not going to repeat it now. I'm just going to write no, it no, down no. in a letter one day. You don't, no, you don't need to repeat it. Yeah. I only asked because when I proposed to Noelle, I was the one that blacked out. And I blabbered <laughs> nice. on for, like, minutes. And then she was, like, smiling and crying and looking at me. And she just goes, are you going to ask a question or are you going to just keep saying nice things about me? <laughs> and so I was like, oh, shoot. That's so funny. That's funny. Yeah. I also, after a wave came and, you know, washed against my complete side, I said, uh, can I put this ring on you now? Yes, that did happen. She nodded in approval. (laughs) Uh, Well, Maggie, I'll ask you the question I asked Vince. Have you decided what's on the menu yet? No, we have not. What's your dream um, wedding menu? Oh, gosh. Um, hmm. We went to a really good wedding that had tacos, and that was really fun. Um, and then there's a lot of, like, local farmers close to my hometown, so I think it would be fun to incorporate some local things. I like so, it. I, I like it yeah. a lot. Well, yeah. The taco bar was really good, though. I mean, they had, like, potato tacos. They had, like, you know... Black beans, they had refried beans, they had a little bit of everything. 
I love it. Yeah. Um, sorry, my cat's eating my screen as we're Greg stop that. But I'm excited to talk. I mean, start off talking about love so we can transition to talking about death. <laughs> um, wow, that was quick. <laughs> uh, I mean, we try to get creative with our segues here. And welcome, everyone. Thank you for coming back to the Creative Podcast. We are quite frankly thrilled that you are all here to join us, that you have your AirPods in or your headphones in, and you're listening to our wonderful voices coming through your headphones. Um, We're excited to be back off a brief hiatus. I am, as always, joined by my co-host with the Mo-host. His name is Vincent Thurman. He drinks the wine and spills water everywhere i don't know vince i'm stumbling bumbling rumbling (laughs) through my introduction because uh my cat is currently sitting on my phone but i have it back uh he's the coffee connoisseur himself he drinks photos and takes wine he likes what he likes unless he doesn't his superpower is asking somebody to marry him and them saying yes he has an amazing smile and his name is vincent thurman vince how you doing i'm so good and these introductions just keep getting better and better you know? I'm rusty, so I apologize, but you deserve the best intro, and I'll just I'll keep working on it. That's all right, because one day I'm going to come in with an intro that follows yours that's probably about <laughs> six minutes long, and it's just going to be everything awesome about you. So I think we're off to a great start anyway. You know, this brief hiatus brings us back to a very exciting time and some very exciting moments, and I am very excited for our guest on the pod today. But before we get into who our guest is, how are you doing? Oh man, I mean, I'm doing great. I've, I've, like you, I've recently moved. Um, unlike you, a much shorter distance, just a mile and a half from where I previously was. But hey, bigger house, bigger yard, better life. So we're doing, we're doing great. There you go. Cool. Uh, yeah. Anything exciting happened in your life recently? Uh, yeah, I recently proposed to the artist formerly known as girlfriend, who is now my Ooh. fiance. So I'm really, really excited. Um, some big things are happening outside of that, you know, you know, change, change things all at once. You know, I've moved to a new city. I got a new job and now I have a fiance. So I'm really, really pumped. I think you're thriving, Vince. I'm still thriving (laughs) y'all. Oh, and I think that we'd be doing a disservice if we didn't introduce the fiance herself. She's the restaurant recommender, the math magician. She slept in the same bed as Oprah. We'll have to do a follow up question on that. But not at the same time. Our guest today, none other than Maggie uh, Phil Space Brant with quotations around it. <laughs> yes, that is the correct spelling <laughs> and pronunciation. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, Maggie, I don't want to start off the podcast dead to rights, but we are thrilled to talk to you today about a very... Oh, uh, I mean, life or death topic. Ooh, good wording. It's pretty interesting, you know. <laughs> you know, Vince. the dead to rights really sold me. We're really excited to have Maggie on today. We're excited to talk about an interesting topic that I think for a lot of people in, you know, the United States or in our culture um, could be really taboo or really difficult to talk about. We're here to talk about funeral homes. We're here to talk about what happens in them, what goes on, and hear from someone who is part of a family that owns a funeral home. So, Maggie, tell us a little bit about yourself, maybe some fun facts, and what it's like to grow up owning a small business. Absolutely. 
So I, I'll go back to my intro, but I'm currently <laughs> living in Grand Rapids and I teach math, middle school math, um, at a really great school here. And I've done that for about two years. And then I, yes, the Oprah, I will clarify. <laughs> um, so I did sleep in the same bed as Oprah at a different time though. Um, a couple years ago, I had an internship with the Children's Defense Fund, and they happened to own Alex Haley's farm. And if you haven't heard of him, he is the author of Roots. So he, so that's kind of where all of this comes together. So Oprah has stayed at his farm many times, and they happened to mess up my hotel reservation. And they were like, oh, could you stay, you know, at Alex Haley's home? Um Oprah stayed there and I was like, oh my gosh. And they're like, I'm so sorry for the inconvenience. And I'm just like, oh, no problem. <laughs> no inconvenience at all. And then I was like, oh, so what room did she stay in? Let's just clarify that. So I did have that great opportunity. So that now, was really cool. Did you message Oprah afterwards and say, I slept in the same bed as you? No, because someday I hope to meet her and I feel like I would never want to be that person. Like, hey, remember that one time I sent you a message like that we slept oh, that's in true. the same bed? Yeah. So I guess you lead me to a greater question of if you, you know, when you do meet her in person, will you bring up the fact that you've slept in the same bed? Oh, probably not. She would think I'm creepy. <laughs> oh, I feel like fair. if you explain the story, though, it'd be a nice story. Exactly, yeah. Very true. But if you just leave it just at, we slept in the same bed before, gets a little awkward. Yeah, it's yeah. all on delivery. Exactly. Um, um, speak go yeah, ahead. No, after you. I was going to say, speaking of delivery, deliver us into this topic. I mean, you, yeah. Uh, we're talking funeral homes. Your family, you grew up around one. Did you sleep in the coffins? Like, I'm confused. You know, I need some more details here. Definitely not. Um, I, yeah, I grew up. Um, I'm the oldest child. I have two younger brothers, and I didn't know any different. I mean, my first birthday party was at a funeral home, which was That's awesome. Yeah, very weird to people, but very normal if you don't know any different. Um, so yeah, so growing up, I don't think I realized how unique my family's situation was. Um, and then in eighth grade, we had to do this project on um, your parents' job. And my dad is the funeral director. And then my mom, um, she stayed home with us when we were younger. And when I was in eighth grade, she was still staying home as a stay-at-home mom. So I had to interview my dad and then give this presentation to my peers. And everyone else's presentation was very short because there's not a lot of questions middle schoolers want to ask about accounting and things like that. So, of course, I do my presentation and instead of 10 minutes, it's like half an hour and like the teacher has to cut off all the questions and things like that. So I think that's the moment where I was like, OK, this is this is very different. People are very interested in this. Yeah, I mean, that's that's interesting, right, to have this 30 minute presentation as like a 12 or 13 year old and say, like, this is what my family does. And then people yeah. are like, that's so interesting or like we didn't know that. Um, what are some of the things that you learn, like growing up in the funeral home and so not I, like you live there, but yeah. like, what are some of the things you learned being around it? 
Um, I think that a lot of my values I learned from the funeral home. Um, for example, um, compassion. My, I think I get my work ethic um, and my sense of believing in a community from the funeral home. Um, because essentially you are meeting people on the worst days of their life and you have to, you have to show up and that that's scary. And that's, you know, you have to be kind of vulnerable for that too. Yeah. So what do you do? So in this situation where, you know, a family member or a close loved one like passes away, like what, like me as someone that has never had to deal with the situation, yeah. like how do I go about, like, how, what does that process look like? Um, so basically when someone passes away, you, um, every situation is a little bit different. Um, but usually people call my dad and our, um, the funeral home phones ring. It's 24 seven. They ring into our home. Um, so that's also how I learned how to answer a phone as well. Um, but you know, we answer the phone and we, you know, it's, you know, people are scared. People don't know what to do. So it's a lot of like learning how to comfort people. So I'm sure you have to get pretty creative with just like how, cause like you said, every situation is a little different and I'm mm -hmm. sure like every family you have to communicate with a little bit differently. I mean, cause they're grieving, but at the same yeah. time they need to accomplish this task of setting up a funeral to celebrate the life of a loved one. Right. Yeah. Uh, After you Vince. Sounds good. No, um, I think that's interesting, right? You talk about like how the, how you have to navigate the conversations mm -hmm. that you have with people and be be mindful and care for them as they're going through a difficult time. But like different people come with different expectations and have different needs and requirements and you have to adjust and adapt mm -hmm. and, you know, have the courage to say that's something we can do or, you know, find the way to, to bridge that gap for them. Um, What's that process like? Um, so there's my dad will sit down with the family and there's kind of a general kind of format to a funeral. Um, and based on different religions, um, there's different traditions that go along with that. Um, so the family is, you know, very involved um, and we kind of put together the main components Um so like writing an obituary, you know, there's a general format, but then people, you know, some people are okay with that. And then other people want to write it completely themselves or add in, you know, certain more personal details. So it's, yeah, it's kind of like event planning in kind of a weird way. Yeah, for sure. No, I think, yeah, that's so much, I mean, at its essence, it is event planning, yeah. right? Um what, I guess, what are things that people ask you all the time or what are things that you wish people wouldn't ask you about funeral homes? Oh, um, so it's funny because my, I texted my brothers and I told them, I was like, oh, I'm going to be on this podcast. Um, and I'll read the text. Um, so my brother responded, he goes, tell people to stop asking us if we've been in the same room as dead people. And that's like, I mean, that's true. I, that is the most asked question. Like if people are like, oh, can I ask you a question? Like when they lead it with that, I'm like, I already know what you're going to say. Um, 
And I think that, I mean, if you already know the answer to a question, do you really need to ask it? Right. So be careful, you know, do you really want to know the answer? So, but it's a certain like respect thing too, that, you know, that's just, that is someone's loved one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So sure. there has to be, I think um, my family did a really good job teaching kind of respect in the sense that, you know, when there's like a haunted house and there's, you know, a hearse that really rubs my dad the wrong way. And I'm just like, Ooh, he would not like that if he saw that. Oh, that's so, I mean, I guess that's something I never even thought about before because to me growing up in a family that, you know, did not run a funeral home, Yeah. you know, I don't look at a hearse at, or, you know, when I've seen one, it's always been in situations where either it's at a funeral or it's at a haunted house or haunted yard. And I can see how with your with your family being so focused, so conscious of that mm-hmm. and people's feelings of how that would impact your dad or your family in a different way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh. I agree. I think that there's some like those are those are just elements of things that people who aren't engaged in that environment or aren't part of that community, like funeral home networks or things like that, that really it doesn't cross their mind or cross their path because talking about funerals and talking about loss and grief ha- is really taboo in our culture or we, we say that that's a personal matter and so we, we leave that off the table. But I think there's, you know, a, a whole world where we could better prepare people and better have conversations about, mm-hmm. you know, funeral or transition or whatever that might be. So I think this is okay. a really interesting topic. What do you wish people knew about funeral homes? I know we kind of answered the question of what do you wish they didn't ask, but what do you think, what do you wish people were more aware of? I think it's a lot about how to care for people um, in the sense that, you know, a lot of people are worried about, um, you know, sending flowers, sending a card and things like that which is, you know, necessary, but I think it's also important for people to realize that they need to remember those um, families who are grieving weeks later, months later, because that's when it's actually really hard because people kind of stop showing up in a sense because they think, you know, you've been through a year healing and things like that, but it's some of like those holidays where it can be the toughest. So I think that's one thing that is a kind of a simple practice, like maybe not bring your card to the funeral, maybe, you know, just write it, but like hang on to it for a couple of weeks and then send it. That's great advice. Is that something that you learned during your time, like working in the funeral home or like just being around it? Like, is that something that you just noticed or is that something you had like actual discussions about? I think that I've noticed I'm pretty detail oriented, um, but also just like my family's conversations are a little different. And I think that um, that's one thing that I really learned from growing up in the funeral home is that we do like small things for each family that's grieving around each holiday. Um, So my favorite holidays are Thanksgiving, but my second favorite holiday is Valentine's Day because we would always make Valentine's Day cookies for 
families who had lost someone recently. So we would just make like cut out sugar cookies and frost them with sprinkles. And then we would put together like a nice plate and a card for them. And then we would deliver them. And it's kind of, it's unexpected and it's a good surprise that makes them realize that people are still thinking about them. Yeah, that's really sweet. That's really, really sweet. You know, funerals and funeral homes can be heavy topics to talk about. Are there, is there a brighter side to it? Like, are there any interesting stories that just like normal daily life happening around the funeral home? I think that everyone has to have a good sense of humor too, because yeah, it can be very, it can be very sad. It is very sad. I have a lot of like happy memories too, just because of the sense of community. I think it's interesting. Like I, our really good family friends all work at the funeral home. So like essentially my whole life kind of revolved around it. And then just like growing up, just like the different memories and chores that my brothers and I would have to do compared to other kids like, for example, like on Saturdays, we would go in and we would have to like feed the fish and like do things like that. And um, one of our random tasks that I think built a lot of character was we would have to go pick up all the cigarettes that people like just disposed of in the parking lot. So like we would, my dad would give us these like big buckets and we would just like walk around like for 10 minutes picking up all the like random cigarettes that people threw on the ground. And I think it's also interesting to see how my brothers and I like handle death and growing up, um, we were in church and my brother, he was probably like three or four and there was like a picture of um, like Jesus in the church and my brother um, leaned over and said to my mom, wait, Jesus died. And my mom's like, yes. And kind of explained it. And then my brother looked at her and was like, well, what did daddy do with him? Like we were supposed to like plan this whole like funeral kind of situation for him. So I think there's like some funny stories about growing up and just different perspectives. That leads me to, a, I mean, one, a great question of how has that, I guess, changed your perception of death? Because I feel like you're around it more often. I don't want to say were you desensitized to it, but I mean, if you've experienced, uh, you know, we've all experienced some level of loss in our yeah. lives. How is work, working at a funeral home or being around it impacted, I guess, that situation in your life? Mm-hmm. And I was talking to my mom, and that's one of the things that she and my dad were worried about was, you know, would we become desensitized? And it's kind of, I would say, I think I'm desensitized a little bit, but I think it's also that we are kind of like, from observing my dad, he's kind of like the calm one in the situation that can be very like chaotic and heartbreaking. So I think that my brothers and I have learned, you know, when there's you know, something kind of bad happening or um, something very emotional, like you kind of, you're kind of the person who is the comforter. So I think that there always has to be someone like that to turn to in a situation. But yeah, it's, it is kind of interesting how I've been to a lot of funerals. And, you know, I don't know the person and it, 
yeah, I'm kind of the comforter in this situation. I've been fortunate that not a lot of people really close to me have passed away. So I don't know. We'll see. Yeah. I think my perspective could change in a few years. Yeah. I mean, it's just because I remember, especially as a little kid dealing with death, a lot of times you don't understand the gravity of it. Yeah. And so a lot, I sometimes have fond memories at funeral homes because that's when all of my family would get together. Yeah. And as little kids, you're like running around playing, you know, all yeah. the grownups are sad, but for you, it's like, oh, all my favorite people are in one place. Like a getting family together. reunion kind of. Right. Yeah. Um, I guess another question I had, I mean, at the beginning, we mentioned that you're a math teacher. You yeah. talked about how your family runs a funeral business. So is there, I guess... I mean, I'm assuming you probably had the option of, you know, working at the funeral home. So what led you down this career of uh, mathematizing kids? Oh, yeah. Um, mathematizing I... is a great word. Oh, yes. Love it. Adding that to the vocab. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> My students aren't going to see that one coming. There was never any pressure to you know, take over the family business. And all my siblings are doing very different things. So I think that's very unique that, you know, a lot of times there's a lot of like pressure, like, oh, I might disappoint them if I do something different. But I think that we're all using the skills that we learned from the funeral home in a different way through a different job. I always wanted to be a teacher. So I think it wasn't a surprise to my parents that that was the funeral home was not the plan for me. Mm-hmm. And then I honestly never thought I was going to be a math teacher. None of my math teachers ever thought <laughs> I was going to be a math teacher. And even one of my math teachers was when I was in high school, she's like, Maggie, like, why are you taking this class? Like it was like the highest math class. And my mom was always like, Oh, you know, just take, just take it. It doesn't matter what grade you get, just take it for the experience and see how it goes. So I kind of used that statement as, okay, I'm going to prove you wrong. So then I went to college and I just kept taking the math classes and eventually became a math teacher. But I think it's interesting because all the people in these math classes were like very into math. Like they were the math people and I was not that So I feel like I was kind of always kind of under the radar, like I'm kind of tricking people into thinking I'm like this math person, but (laughs) I'm not. But I think that I needed to become a math teacher because I really struggled. And I think I teach math using some shortcuts, which is not always the right way. But a lot of times, once you know the shortcut, you can kind of understand the bigger picture. And I really enjoy making math fun because most people don't care for math especially middle schoolers but a lot of my students this year like I was able to like change their mind and we had a really good time so what are some creative ways of making math fun because I think about like my personal experience I especially in college I avoided math at all costs like I Mm -hmm. went into a degree knowing that I had to take the introductory level math class and then once I passed that with a C or higher I was good to go so I guess how, especially, especially as someone that, uh, you know, you said you weren't necessarily a math person yeah. uh, coming up, how do you make that enjoyable uh, through creativity for, I guess, the younger generations? Mm-hmm. 
So I like to teach math through games. My students this past year were very competitive, so I used that to my advantage. So one thing that I do, start our class with like a problem, like a bell ringer, um, but then I make them talk about their strategies that they used. Um, but I do that through competition. So they're competing against each of my math classes to see how many comments and ideas they can throw out there. Um, and then I will throw in another kind of challenge where you can say anything you want, but you can't say this word, or if this person, if the mystery person participates, they, you get a bonus points, or I put a penny under someone's seat. So for a week we did like, who has the lucky penny? And they would get bonus points for that. So just making it very kind of engaging and kind of tricking them into liking math. And then there's a lot of cool things that you can do, like escape rooms. I've done an escape room. So they're doing math. They kind of realize it, but you know, it's more of like a game or a puzzle and they're trying to crack the code. So that's a lot of fun. And then I like to relate things to the real world so they can, you know, see that math is actually applicable. Um, I did a budgeting project where they had to plan their dream vacation, which a lot of them loved. So they had to, you know, find an Airbnb that they were going to stay at. They had a plan for their flight. So I think that what people don't realize is math isn't just a textbook. And I think that a lot of us growing up learned from a textbook, a notebook, and a workbook. And I avoid that at all costs. I wish I would have had you as a teacher growing up right? because I was the textbook Escape workbook. Escape rooms. Right. Yeah. Vacations. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like those are the like, types of things that just make, make school interesting, right? It's taking a topic that otherwise many people don't connect to and finding ways to get them to connect to it. And that takes a tremendous amount of creativity and, you know, insight and also trial and error. And that's something that we we talk about here on our podcast that, you know, creativity isn't just this one off, you know, genius moment. It's re repetition of trying and failing and learning and trying and failing and yeah. learning and seeing what what comes about. And I think that math is definitely one of those things that for me was about trying and failing and learning and maybe a little bit more failing in between the, the mm -hmm. learning and trying, but getting to a place of being confident enough to try to solve math problems is really, really cool. Speaking so, of trying and failing, I keep on trying and failing to get to a point in my house where I can't hear the neighbor's dog barking. <laughs> I don't know if I finally achieved it yet or not, but we'll see. We're going to make it work. So I guess one thing I want to say, just based off of Maggie, what you're talking about earlier, is how you really carried on your family's legacy, mm -hmm. but in a different way. Like how you said... Yeah. You didn't necessarily continue on within the funeral home, but you took all of the, you know, the knowledge and the understanding that you got, you know, working and helping your parents out and you kind of carry that on into your current career. Mm -hmm. uh, do you think there's a good life lesson that people can learn from funeral homes? Yes, I think that it's kind of like compassion boot camp in the sense where you have no idea um, what the situation will be like, you know, you're meeting new people. So you're just kind of signing up to show up and be there. And I feel like that relates to teaching. My students are dealing with really big life things and they are, you know, wise beyond their years. So they're looking for someone 
who can understand, who can relate, who can just listen. So, and I think that's, that's a lot of what I learned growing up. Yeah. And I think a lot of people are looking for that too, right? That support, that, that shoulder to lean on, that person who will just listen to them and not patronize them, but really hear them out. And also, like you said, care what they have going on in their lives. Mm -hmm. Are there any other, I guess, stories or funny, or just, I guess, anything you want to share about just funeral homes that you think are important for people to know, or that maybe they, yeah, there might be a misconception about? I think that one misconception is that everyone is always thinking that you have to wear black to a funeral. And I think that is a huge misconception. I've heard of people going out to buy a, you know, an outfit that's all black to wear to a funeral. And I think that funerals could be a little more happy um, if people didn't wear all black. Um, So don't be afraid to, you know, wear a bright color. And growing up, I was never, I was never allowed to wear black to a funeral, which is now why I wear a lot of black. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, you know, it is, you know, wear bright colors, wear patterns, make it a little more cheerful. Yeah, I love that because at the end of the day, you know, a funeral is a celebration of someone's life. Everybody wants a happy ending, right? But it doesn't always roll that way. Maybe this time. I'm hoping if you play this back, it's in celebration. I hope families are reunited. I hope you get it back and something like a normal version of the planet has been restored. If there ever was such a thing. Capital world. Universe now. If you told me 10 years ago that we weren't alone, let alone, you know, to this extent, I mean, I, I, I wouldn't have been surprised, but come on, who knew? The epic forces of darkness and light that have come into play. And for better or worse, that's the reality Morgan's going to have to find a way to grow up in. So I thought I'd probably better record a little greeting in the case of an untimely death on my part. I mean, not that death at any time is an untimely. This time travel thing that we're going to try and pull off tomorrow, it's, it's, it's got me scratching my head about the survival of the And again, that's the hero gig. Part of the journey is the end. What am I even tripping for? Everything's going to work out exactly the way it's supposed to. So one thing we do before we close the podcast out for the day is we ask our guests normally and, you know, our co-hosts, you know, what what's one recommendation you have, whether it's a book that you're reading or a song that you're listening to or, you know, something that you want to share that people can get their hands on that might make make life a little bit more interesting, a little bit more creative for them. So I will leave the floor open for you both to see uh, what your your recommendations are for this week's episode. I say we let the guests go first. Okay. Perfect. My recommendation, and this should come to no surprise to Vince and my mom, I am really into the Enneagram right now, which if you haven't heard of it, it's kind of like a personality breakdown. So this ideology thinks that there's nine different personalities and it's basically centered as a circle So you have one main personality. So I'm a number one. um, And then you can lean different ways. So 
if you, since I'm a one, I lean a little bit to a personality of a two or a nine. And I've been reading a lot about it. And it's just really interesting about how you how you show up in the world, how you are in the workplace. It really is like I was reading and I'm like, wow, this is like staring into my soul. I would very much recommend that. And there's a lot of fun Instagram accounts that you can follow. And they always post like a bunch of cool graphics and quotes. And you're like, and you'll read it and you'll be like, wow, I really relate to that. So that is my recommendation. Perfect. I think that's really interesting. And you, so I took the Enneagram, you know, assessment probably a couple of years ago, but this is really the first year or six months even that I've really dove into it, um, really figured out, you know, what is, what is my type and what impacts my mood and all of those things and how I show up. So I would definitely retweet that recommendation um, at the creative underscore pod. Vince, what was your, uh, what was your type? Oh, I'm a type nine. Oh, really? What was your, uh, like, what's your wing? Um, so I lean towards a wing, I believe a wing one. Um, Maggie, would you confirm that? Is that, is that where we lean? Is that where I lean? I, I think so. Yeah. I think so you're so. a mix of the one and the eight. Gotcha. Gotcha. So maybe in the middle. How about you, Jeremy? Do you know yours? Yeah, and it's just weird you brought this up because I, my wife and I went down to surprise my brother for the 4th of July, yeah. and his uh, his in-laws are both social workers, and so they're really big into this. So they asked, like, Noelle and I, as soon as we came to the door, they're like, <laughs> what's your number? What's your wing? And I was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> and so before we could even continue in conversation, they made us both take it. And I was a three, uh, and my, like, wing is a two. And yeah, it made okay. so much sense because it talked about how, like, I'm very focused on relationship building and helping other people, but I also like to, like, hear from other people, like, thank you, Jeremy, or, you know, I like to be validated for what I'm doing. Um, and I, to me, it just made so much sense. And Maggie, like you were saying, I was reading it. It's like, how do they know all this about me? There's no, you know, there's no yes. way. Um, the one, um account on Instagram that I really like is called Enneagram and coffee. And then they do these, um, like tic-tac-toe graphics. So for my type, it's like correct blinker usage. And I'm like, yes, that is so important. Or it says I'm the go-to paper editor for your friends. So accurate. So you, the listeners will definitely have to check that out. It's a lot of fun. Hold on, I'm, I'm looking it up right now. He said Enneagram and coffee. Yes. It's a great account. And there's oh, some fun it. meme accounts associated with the Enneagram too that are pretty interesting. There's like one that shows your Parks and Rec character purely based on the Enneagram. So my Disney princess is Tiana, the Achiever. Nice. That's amazing. <laughs> uh, all right, I think mine, just because my connection keeps on going in and out and my dog just came like bursting into the house. Um... <laughs> Mine has been Beyonce's The Lion King. And so I know it I was driving to work and I have a long commute and let's just I'll just be very short about it. I was so motivated. Beyonce's like power soothing vocals. Uh I was driving through traffic as I could hear antelope just running through the, you know, through the desert and it was a great feeling. So if you're looking for a good soundtrack, you know, modified soundtrack from a movie, Beyonce's The Lion King. 
fantastic. I haven't seen the movie, uh, and I'll save that for another another podcast that we do about nostalgia. But no, uh, <laughs> at least the soundtrack is amazing. Sure, yeah, that's those are all awesome. I think I've only listened to maybe three or four songs off of that album, but I really like it a lot. Yeah. Um, yeah, so good, so good. And then, like, to hear James Earl Jones just, like, tell you the world is beautiful and amazing and connected is just such a rewarding thing to hear. Just such an uplifting thing to hear. Everything you see exists together in a delicate balance. You need to understand that balance and respect all the creatures. the crawling ant to the leaping antelope. We are all connected in the great circle of life. I think he's a much forgotten option when you ask the question, who do you want to narrate your life? Yeah. You know, people mm-hmm. always jump to Morgan Freeman or yeah. someone like that, but I think James Earl Jones would be my pick. Yeah, so true, so true. Easily top three narrate your life voices. Yeah. Uh, Vince, did you have a suggestion? Um. Yeah, this is something I was thinking about before we actually recorded the podcast today. I've been trying to think about what would I recommend. Um. I would say my recommendation isn't so much something you can get your hands on or something you can listen to. It's just more of a, a challenge to take risks, to to take that leap, to figure out what what's going to pay off and go after it, and then be strategic about it so it's not just kind of leaping out into the world, but figure out how to build your way to those opportunities um, and experiences, because right now my life is in flux because of a lot of changing, exciting, wonderful, beautiful experiences, and that has just been the best time in my life right now. It's been wonderful. I mean... You know, new job, got engaged, moved to a new city. Like, take taking those risks and, like, being, you know, thoughtful about it is important. But, like, don't be afraid to take those leaps because they really pay off. And even if they don't pay off, you can learn something from it. So, you know, mine isn't so much a suggestion of something they can get their hands on, but something that maybe they can try and do for the future. So, um, with that being said, though, we're so excited that you joined us today for the Creative Podcast, Maggie. And that you're on this journey with us and for our listeners. And with out Vince. There. Forever. <laughs> yeah. 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 Forever. Yeah. So true. So, thank you for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and to our listeners, thank you for joining us again. We're back after a brief hiatus and we're really, really excited that you're being, being, um, we're excited. Oh, I know I'm screwing. We're up. all rusty. Oh. <laughs> Fine. And we're really excited for you to be a part of this journey with us. You know, please give us a, a, a like, comment, or a subscribe um, on any of the platforms that you're listening to us on. And then also, you can follow us at the creative underscore pod on Twitter and Instagram, where the podcast takes a critical look at the creative and not so creative parts of our world. Thank you for joining us. We're really excited that you've been here for us. Boom. So happy to finally meet above the sea All together now their lava grew and grew 
No longer are they all alone with Aloha as their new home. And when we visit them, this is what they sing. I have a dream I hope will come true. That you'll go with me. And I'll go 